Tēnā koe, no mai, haere mai. Welcome to Animal Matters, SAFE's fortnightly podcast. Uh, it is a fortnight this time. It's been a fortnight. We haven't missed our schedule. Courtney, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, I'm doing better than the greyhound. I'm wearing a greyhound t-shirt today, I just realised, which is very topical. You are. Um, you seem to do that every time we're about to talk about something. You seem to be wearing some sort of item of clothing that is reminiscent of it. It's amazing. You're like... <laughs> It's never planned. None of it's ever planned. Um, I love this t-shirt. We um, um, we made these t-shirts for the big gay out a couple of years ago, where um, our colleagues Michelle and and Laura were had a stall at the big gay out, and I think they were collecting. It wasn't petition. No, it was petition. Yeah, they were collecting signatures for the Greyhound petition, and they got these. Um, these t-shirts made with a big gay rainbow across it and a bunch of us fell in love with them so we just got them printed for ourselves anyway. <laughs> it's cool, I like it. But unfortunately the greyhounds have, and it's no surprise, it seems like greyhounds just about every week are in the news, but they had a pretty rough time of it a couple of weeks ago up in Auckland at the Manukau racetrack. A horror day of racing We've called it. It's a hor- It was a horror day. Nine dogs were injured in one day of racing. Wasn't the same race, but one one racing meeting. Nine dogs were injured. Four of them had had broken legs as a result of their injuries. Um, and that racetrack has now been closed. I understand, um, pending an investigation. I mean, we can get to the the future of this race racetrack is actually up in the air, but we can get to that in a moment. But. At some point, surely the government just needs to go, this needs to stop. If you're going to have four dogs who have broken their legs in one day of racing, surely this just needs to stop, don't you think? A hundred percent. It's really weird as well, because when you read anything that comes from, you know, the greyhound racing industry, they really, really, really double down on the fact that, you know, they love their dogs. And it's kind of... It's kind of the weirdest thing because you're kind of going, but how can you say that when this is happening all the time? They're being injured. They're dying all the time. I just don't. Yeah, I don't understand. I wonder whether this is going to be the this is definitely going to be the end for the Manukau racetrack because its future is very much up in the air. There's currently a plan to redevelop the Manukau Sports Bowl in Auckland, which is where this racetrack is is currently located and in the draft plan um they're proposing redeveloping that land where the racetrack is and turning it into an athletics facility that's right yeah so there's uh, there was a lot of uh, public support for that move greyhound racing new zealand are worried i think about it they put out a statement basically trying to make the case that it's not a done deal it's not a there's still a lot of water that needs to go under the bridge but surely now that this 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 track is being you know there's an investigation because of injuries it's an easy choice for the auckland council to make just to scrap the track and turn it into an athletics facility which is way better for the community yeah exactly I don't even know. I, I mean, it probably makes sense that I don't know anybody, but do you know anybody who would be keen to go to a Greyhound race? Like, I've <laughs> never heard of anybody who wants to go. I don't know how this is still even popular. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's so strange. I don't know anyone who's admitted to me that they're 
that are keen to go and see it or have ever gone. Yeah. I mean, to a certain extent, we both probably live in a little bit of a bubble. Yeah, um, that's true. But at the same time, I also have many, many friends. Most of my friends actually aren't. They're not vegan. They're not animal rights people. But I, none of them agree with greyhound racing mm. i haven't like even the the biggest meat eating friends i have none of them are into into greyhound racing i've got one friend whose family is involved in horse racing and even he's like greyhound racing's garbage really what's the difference for him well okay so there's it's complicated um there is um a historical attitude from what i understand there's a historical attitude amongst the horse racing community towards the greyhound racing um, industry and it's to, a lot of it's to do with class and and wealth greyhound racing historically considered the commoners racing um activity whereas horse racing's historically been surrounded by aristocracy um you yeah. know um case in point the you know whenever there's big races like cup day in christchurch a couple of weeks ago um, everyone's, you know, got their fascinators and top hats and they're dressed up like royalty. Um, obviously, the literal royalty in the UK are big into horse racing. So, there's a there's a very much a class divide historically. That's a good point, actually. But then when you think about it, it's all a veneer, isn't it? Because when you actually, I mean, going to um, or even being outside of the Melbourne Cup, you know, everybody, yeah, they go in in the morning with their fascinators and their heels and everything up, their suits in the end of the day, pure chaos. Absolute chaos. Pure chaos. <laughs> but then there's another aspect to this this um, disagreement between horse racing and greyhound racing as well, which is people in horse racing think that greyhound racing makes them look bad because of all the injuries and all the deaths. And they're yeah. worried about, um, a lot of them are concerned about what it can mean for, for their, for horse racing going forward. If greyhound racing is allowed to continue doing these terrible things to dogs. I mean, there's a lot of bad going on in the horse racing industry. Like it's, it's <laughs> without a doubt. Um, but if you were to look at pure numbers and injuries and deaths, I think it's pretty clear that greyhound racing is having a numerically worse impact on animals than horse racing. Yeah, the long story short, I guess I think that's why there's a lot of horse racing people that don't like greyhound racing, which is I think the the, the attitude um, that my the, my friend who's into horse racing he looks at it. He's not looking at it from a class perspective. He's looking at an animal welfare perspective, and going, "Yeah, greyhound racing's terrible." Um, we don't talk about horse racing, though. <laughs> With- I was going to say, how does that go? Sort of, is he in Christchurch? He is in Christchurch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I shouldn't say too much because I don't want to um, out him or anything like that. But um, <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, he's he invited me to come, you know, see some of his family horses and see how well they looked after. And I was kind of like, thanks, but no thanks. You know, my position yeah. is that we shouldn't even be riding horses, let alone racing them. And he was like, okay. We'll agree to disagree, you know. <laughs> We're good friends, though, still. That's good, because that is something that is quite tough, I find. Um, you know, when you are friends or family with people who have such conflicting thoughts or values or ethics or whatever it is with you, it's good that you can still stay friends. Oh, totally. Because I have trouble with that sometimes. Yeah, totally. I think it's – I mean, this is a wider discussion, but I think if we let the things that – the world feels like it's becoming more divided every day and it's a big problem in the United States and we're not immune to it. So I think just in principle, um, we ought to um, allow ourselves to feel united on the things that we can agree on and not let ourselves become too divided on the things we don't agree on whilst also standing up for what we care about. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's a whole other discussion. 
But speaking of people who are involved in the horse racing industry, uh, the current racing minister, the new racing minister, Kira McAnulty, has quite a bit of a background in horse racing. And he is continuing with the work that was started uh, last year when Grant Robinson was the racing minister at the time and put the Greyhound Racing industry on notice. So the new racing minister, Kira McAnulty, has made some comments in public lately, which uh, were said in a meeting to myself and some colleagues when we met with the racing minister, I think it was last month. And there has been, I think, a view in in some of the community that Kira McAnulty wouldn't be as firm on greyhound racing because he does have a background in the racing industry, but he's very much putting that to bed. Um, and he's made that case very strongly in, an, in a recent interview he did for News Hub Nation. Um, and he made similar comments to Safe when we, we met with him, where he basically said that there's three options for greyhound racing, um, either the status quo, and he said that is not an option. Like there is no outcome where there's going to be a status quo, significant reform. Um, or a complete and total ban. And at the end of this year, he's expecting a, a report from the Racing Integrity Board on the progress that Greyhound Racing has made to improve animal welfare, data recording and transparency. And once he has that report, it's expected in the new, sometime early in the new year, new year, he will make some form of announcement about the future of Greyhound Racing. And he, yeah, it's interesting. He's made it very clear that whatever it is, the status quo will not continue. There will be change. Yeah. It's just whether or not that change means reform or a total ban. Well, yeah, because there's, I mean, there's been talk previously about things like, you know, straight racetracks and whatnot being a form of reform that could potentially help to reduce some of the injuries. But I mean,. <laughs> What are your thoughts on that? I mean, a straight racetrack, a round racetrack, yeah, perhaps there's going to be a few less injuries, but it's not going to fix the problems. The the, the logic with the straight track is that most of the injuries happen at the first corner. Um, and there is evidence from overseas that shows that straight tracks do result in less injuries, but it doesn't result in no injuries and, it's, and, and, and certainly no deaths either. So there was there will still be problems you still got the issue of overbreeding of greyhound puppies and essentially the oversupply of greyhounds going into the community. Um, you've still got the issue of their their living conditions, the kennels they're being kept in. So straight tracks, it's, it's no silver bullet. And there's no, from my perspective, from what I've read from, um, from statistics from overseas where they have built straight tracks, it's not going to mean zero deaths and zero injuries. Possibly, will probably mean less injuries but definitely not zero so i'm not particularly satisfied with that um with the case for for straight tracks there's going to be there would have to be so much more to happen uh to to protect greyhounds and i don't see how the industry could do it you know i don't think there would be any reforms that the industry could make that they would accept as palatable and feasible so the only option may be to, to close it down. Yeah, yeah. But K- Kieran hasn't said anything about what those reforms might look like at all. It's just sort of that they have to be done. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And he's he, and he's made it very clear in this interview that it all is reliant on the the report that will be delivered to him from the Racing Integrity Board later this year. Essentially next month he's expecting it. And then early in the next, in, in next year 
there will be some form of announcement. Um, and yeah, he's not waiting on what those reforms will be, mm. but there will be reforms is the long and short of it. Yeah. Okay. Um, or a complete ban. Yeah. Well, we'll just have to wait and see then, I guess. <laughs> Hoping for the best. That's right. That's right. Which is, um, which kind of sucks because greyhounds are still being injured like they, in, in, in big numbers, um, like what happened at, at Manukau. Yeah. That was huge. I couldn't believe that. That was an outrageous, outrageous weekend. Everybody was up in arms about that. I don't, I, I've broken my leg before. I can't think of anything worse than breaking your leg whilst running. Like, it's, it's those poor dogs. This is what frustrates me uh, so much about the whole process of the industry being on notice and things like that is it just means every day these dogs are suffering. So a ban can't come soon mm-hmm. enough. Speaking of things that ought to be banned, um, the <laughs> conversation around fireworks has fired up again in the last few weeks. So many puns. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, if there's... Okay. The thing with fireworks is, like, my biggest reason for wanting to ban this public sale of fireworks is I was a kid once. I was a teenager, and I was not responsible with fireworks. Were any of us? I mean, it was the Wild West out there in November a few years ago. I mean, perhaps it is. I don't know. I actually have no idea. I've seen no reports about whether there's more or less being sold. I know that we obviously have the warehouse not selling them anymore, which was you know, a huge, big industry. So I don't know, but yeah, you're right. When I was younger, my goodness, I'm surprised we all still have both eyes, teeth, everything. Cause it was, yeah, it was madness. I, it is a lot more strict. Now, I remember when we were, when I was a teenager, it was like, you only had to be 15. What? Or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 15 or 16. And they would be on sale for like two weeks, three weeks. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I remember just being able to walk down to the warehouse and, and buying these things. Whereas now it's, you have to be over 18 and it's only a period of like, I can't remember what, what, what the, it's only a few days though. Yes, yeah, like four or five days, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And as you mentioned, the warehouse don't sell them anymore, which is great because that was where I used to buy them mm. from. So that's a, a significant player that's, um, that's exited the market. Mm. But despite all of this, there's still problems. There was a massive fire caused um, in Woodend, which is just north of Christchurch, about 20 minutes drive north of Christchurch. It was more than 24 hours that the fire was on, if I recall correctly. Ooh. Like not only risk to, 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 to life and property, but the risk to animals is so great. There's a horse stables up at Woodend, Woodend. There was like 80 horses that had to be evacuated. What's frustrating is this conversation has been going on for years now. There was a petition made in 2019 to parliament three petitions all calling for roughly the same thing which was a ban on the public sale of fireworks the select committee didn't recommend a ban and just within the last couple of the weeks the environment minister david parker has basically come out and said yet again he's got no plans to ban the sale of fireworks to the public it's like, what needs to happen? Yeah, like, what do you think that it is? Because it's every single year something happens, right? So every year there's a fire or some animal deaths or, you know, people getting injured. What is it? What makes them so sticky that they need to stay in the public conscience and we get to still keep using them? I just don't understand why. And because people are changing their views, there's 
heaps of media in the last little while that's been calling for an end to the public sale of fireworks. I mean, you even were called a number of times by media asking about that. Um, what do you, What is it? Why are they still here? It's crazy. It's crazy. And, and most of the conversations I was having with journalists were like, they were just exasperated by the fact that this is still going on. Um, it's a, the the only argument I can see. The only is the the cultural argument. People enjoy using fireworks or, or seeing fireworks because of Guy Fawkes, because of other cultural celebrations. But my answer to that is go to a public display. It's going to be bigger. It's going to be better. Um, and at least with a public display, people in a neighbourhood can be notified, make arrangements for their animals. Um, it still has an, a, a, a negative impact on wild animals, but on balance, it's a far better s- system than this just Wild West anyone can set off fireworks. Mm. I heard fireworks the other night and Guy Fawkes ended like weeks ago. Oh, really? It's, yeah. So people stockpile in them and, and send them off, send, send them off at, at any time. Because what's the rule about that? Because you can obviously only buy them for that certain time, but can you set them off whenever? Like, could you stockpile them? Oh, okay. Well, that's a problem. That's it. Yeah, it's there's no rule about setting them off. So people will set them off in New Year's. They set them off on birthdays. They set them off. There's no rule dictating that they have to be used on Guy Fawkes. The only rule is that they can only be sold during a small period around Guy Fawkes. Right. Okay. Yeah. Which is also Guy Fawkes is a terrible time of year for New Zealand because it, all the all the land is dry. Yeah. yeah, and it's nesting season for a lot of wild birds. So, you know, they can get so spooked by these loud bangs and bright flashes that they'll actually leave their nests, which is, you know, for a, for a country that really cares about its native wildlife, it's an odd choice to make, I think. It's, it's, it's probably more convenient for the Northern Hemisphere, but it doesn't work for the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. Perhaps. I mean, we've just had... Matariki is now a public holiday. Mm. Why do we need to have fireworks celebration for Guy Fawkes when we could just scrap Guy Fawkes, stop recognising it, get rid of the public sale of fireworks and have some public displays around Matariki um, when I assume there's going to be less, there's not going to be nesting. Um, hopefully they can pick locations where there's going to be less risk to, to wild animals and especially less risk to, to, to any animal. Um, and then it's a proper Kiwi celebration. Right. Yeah. And even better, even better, we could go with Matariki laser displays mm. or drone shows. How cool would that be? Absolutely. Yes. That that technology is being used overseas now. Light shows using drones and lasers. Mm. Why does it have to be fireworks? I honestly don't know. <laughs> it doesn't. We could just get rid of them. I would much rather see a laser slash laser light slash drone show. Um, they can synchronize it with some music, like they synchronize fireworks with music these days. Um, yeah. So much better. It probably looks cooler as well. It'd be like that cool seventies thing that I've always been jealous of. Is that like Laser Floyd? Yeah. How cool. Yeah, I'd be so into that because I was um, like you. I got woken up um, not too long ago by all these fireworks. It's scary, man. It got me terrified. My puppy. I couldn't sleep. This was at like four in the morning. It's yeah. I'm I'm not about fireworks 
at all. No, definitely not. Let's just bin them, <laughs> chuck them in a bin. <laughs> we sound like such downers. We do like fun. I know we do. We do like fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's have fun with drones and lasers. Lasers are fun. Okay. Um, well, I don't know how much you know about this because this was all pretty new to me. But just last week, New Zealand King Salmon, who is... New Zealand's largest salmon producer, won a bid for resource consent for an open ocean salmon farm in the Cook Strait. So this is in spite of pretty strong opposition from quite a few areas. So it was from community groups, environmental groups, animal welfare organisations, all put in um, some opposition for this. But Marlborough District Council has awarded the consent, it seems, Regardless, So the problem that we have about this is other than it's a farm, which we would have an issue with anyway, um, is that New Zealand King Salmon has a history of disease, uh, mass mortalities on their farm. So in the last financial year, at least one of their farms, probably more, but I know of one definitely, which is in the Queen Charlotte Sounds, had huge mortality rates. So I think it reached almost 60%. Um, mortality rate just last financial year this financial year they're forecasting almost 40 percent so better but still unbelievably bad so almost half of their fish they're basically saying are going to die um so i'm shocked to hear that this consent's been granted i i cannot believe it um and in speaking to some of our colleagues as well they have said that they should be facing consequences for Essentially breaches under the Animal Welfare Act and not expanding operations that should not be going this way. So what's actually happened is that a lot of these deaths in the past year have been due to the water being too warm. So New Zealand King Salmon has said that the Cook Strait, so this is where they're wanting to expand to, is going to be cooler so it will bring down those mortality rates but that seems pretty optimistic because there's no guarantee of that at all because we're in the middle of a marine heat wave did you know about this no i didn't know that yeah that's crazy yep so the bay of plenty i know it's a different area but the bay of plenty has just last week the one just gone has marked a year of the longest continuous marine heat wave on record massive so the region seen sea temperatures running at around 1.6 degrees above long-term average. Not only that, but the Moana project is projecting a steady increase in water temperature with Taranaki, Fiordland and Stewart Island all entering moderate marine heat waves. So it's all over the country. Um, their forecast for Cape Reinga, um, Bay of Plenty, as we mentioned, in Raglan with 2.5 degrees higher. So this is massive. Like, this is not... This is not nothing. And so just to hear that, you know, it's fine because we're moving to a different area that's got slightly cooler water. I can't, I cannot imagine that this is not going to have its own problems. Um, so all in all, like I say, the, the water cool enough to be safe for salmon is not guaranteed. But even if it was, um, the mass investor uh, presentation for King Salmon has said that high temperatures are just one factor anyway of all those deaths. So there's also opportunistic microorganisms, there's diseases, there's feed-related issues, predators, reduced oxygen levels, biofouling, and just other stresses. So they're all contributing to those deaths. So regardless of where the farms go, a lot of these things are going to follow because, you know, they're farmed. They can't, they can't leave. In the wild, salmon would migrate for thousands of kilometres, but they're trapped in these sea cages, so they've got no way to get themselves 
to cooler water or away from any of those stresses. So I just think it's absolutely insane that we're thinking about opening a new a new farm. Um, and it'll be interesting to hear what you think, but I think what's really, really sad about all this is that if, you know, if this was any other animal, if it was cows, if it was pigs, if it was dogs, anything else, yes. people would be outraged at what's happening. And 100%. Yeah, just the flippancy regarding this huge amount of death. I was about to say the exact same thing, like... Um, Look, the Ministry for Primary Industries, we're constantly frustrated by their inaction when um, responding to or addressing animal welfare concerns or complaints on, on farms. But I can't imagine a world where MPI would not intervene if a farm, if a dairy farm had a 40% mortality rate or a sheep farm. I can't imagine a world where they wouldn't prosecute. If, if mortality was that high, because obviously something's gone terribly wrong. So the fact that it's just, it seems like everyone's just treating this as acceptable, that there's this many animals dying in, in farms, but it just so happens that they're fish. So it's okay. Whether if it was, if it was cows, if it was pigs, if it was chickens, I would expect MPI would be taking a pretty strong view on that. And even if this new development that, that they're doing, which is, supposed to be in cooler water, water, sea level temperatures are meant to continue to rise. So, and as you quite rightly pointed out, well, sea temperature is only one stressor that's causing these the, this, this high mortality rate. So yeah, I'm flabbergasted that this is being allowed to, to proceed. It's shocking. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And, you know, especially, like you say, with the rising sea temperatures and things, I know... It's shocking because we don't even talk about fish deaths on farms in terms of you know individuals dying, which we we can do with other with other creatures, but we just talk about them in terms of weight. It's so flippant, it's unbelievable. But in the last heat wave that we we saw in New Zealand, this company um, dumped. 1,000, I think it was 1,269 tons of dead salmon. Like, that is unfathomable numbers that they can't even count them. They made 160 trips to the landfill just to dump them. Um, and it's just, it does, it blows my mind that we're kind of going, oh, well, let's try again in a marginally cooler water and just sort of see how we go. This, It's just, there's so little regard for these animals and they're, they're sentient. They're capable of feeling pain. They are capable of feeling fear. You know, why are we not protecting them in the same way that we would other animals? I, it's, yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, they're definitely the most exploited and most neglected of all the farmed animals. Um, and even wild fish, uh, you know, the, it's it's the same with them. They're, they're pulled out of the water by commercial fishing vessels, which... Um, and they essentially suffocate in the in, in the atmosphere. Um, and again, also aren't counted by individual, they're counted by ton. It's wild that there's some people in the animal welfare space who consider fish farming to be better welfare, just because they're normally stunned instantly when they're harvested. That's their term, not mine. So it's a it's a quicker, supposed to be a quicker less painful death but the suffering they had to go through before that point where yeah as you say these are natural migrators and they're confined to these these essentially small uh sea cages um where there's 
terrible conditions, which results in a 40% mortality. It's out, it's outrageous that it's not treated the same way as other, other farmed animals. We've come, so, there's a long way we'd, we've got to go for animal welfare and animal rights for land animals, but at least animal welfare has come a lot farther for land animals than it has for fishes and fish farming. Uh, they're just left behind, really, in, in, the, in the current status quo. Yeah, it's a weird thing to sort of think about the welfare issue as just how they die, you know, or, you know, it's not sort of how they live or, you know, all of the ones that we're talking about who have died is almost just a, a nothing, is just a mortality rate to sort of be to be listed in a report and then forgotten about. I mean, I cannot imagine that it's pleasant to die of heat stress as a salmon. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm really... I'm really confused by it all because, you know, they are sentient creatures. Yes, they are that step further removed from us. And perhaps that's what contributes towards it. We can see ourselves in a dog. We can see, you know, a a cow as a land mammal that sort of we can see how they how they live in their um, lives sort of they resonate with us. But I guess fish, there's this, just that little bit more distance that we still have to travel to see them as, as sentient creatures. Yeah, definitely. Like there's still, there's already a, I guess, your know, chickens have a much worse life compared to um, other land animals that we farm. Because I guess to your point, uh, it's easier to see ourselves in, in, in sheep and cows and pigs than it is to see ourselves in chickens, which I think is probably partly why they tend to live far worse lives mm. in in agriculture, and then fish is just that one step further, isn't it? It's um, even more difficult for for many humans to see themselves in aquatic life. Um, so yeah, there's really that there really is that hierarchy, isn't there? That that species hierarchy where our companion animals are right at the top, cats and dogs, and then it's a hierarchy going down, and, and fish are probably right at the bottom. Anyway, on that little note, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry to bring it all down at the end there, but I suppose it's been a bit of a downer of news all round, really, today. It has been. Yeah, we don't have any good news. Sorry, yeah, we'll try and find some good news before the next episode. Um, but thank you for listening to Animal Matters. This podcast is, of course, brought to you by Safe Animals, Aotearoa's leading animal rights organisation. We release new episodes every fortnight, so make sure you subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or whatever your favourite podcast platform is you can also subscribe to our newsletter at safe.org.nz forward slash animal matters if you're listening on Apple or Spotify leave a rating as it helps other listeners to find the show until next time Mate wa.